Hello, this is Rex Watson, FC Dallas fan and longtime reader of ThirdDegree.net. Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Located in Frisco at Toyota Stadium, stop in and shop the wide variety of jerseys, scarves, soccer equipment, and more. Or shop online at Soccer90.com. Use the code ThirdDegree at checkout to receive 20% off your order. Promo code good online only. Some exclusions may apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode. Yes, another victory episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Episode number, please. 154. Hi, it's me, Peter. And uh, as normal, my good friend, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Wait, sorry, howdy? Howdy, yeah, it's, uh, oh. yeah, H-O-W-D-E-E. Oh, like Bucky's. Okay. Yeah, like Bucky's. That's how we spell it around here. I know. It's foreign to you. You probably spell it H O W D Y, but that's the British spelling. Touche. <laughs> and uh, my hero, everybody's hero, editor founder of Third Degree, Buzz Carrot. Come in, Buzz. Hello, Peter. How are you on this lovely, gorgeous Thursday evening? Buzz. I would rather be doing anything other than talking about <laughs> FC Dallas in this moment. This is the worst effing timing to be doing a <laughs> podcast about that godforsaken team up in Frisco. Yeah. Because we are now just nigh the three hours away from Mexico versus USA and what will almost certainly be the most gut wrenching seven days. I'm too old for this. This is, and now just watching Italy get knocked out by North Macedonia. I'm yeah. telling you, there's too many parallels, my friend. Too many parallels. Well, let me just say, though, the, the way I look at World Cup qualifying is you just always assume that the game in Mexico was a loss. And so if you get anything out of it, a point, a good game, whatever, it's a bonus. You, you can't expect that this game is going to go the U.S.'s way. And you should put it on the calendar that way when the whole damn schedule comes out. So if you planned on getting a point there as part of your qualifying, that was probably really poor planning. So it's, I'm not at all nervous about it because nothing ever goes right for the United States and Mexico. Oh, just, you don't even give two squirts, do you, Dan? Nah, not really. I kind of find it all funny. Dan's not over the 1950 loss to the United States. One, nothing. <laughs> Still struggling yeah. with the aftermath of that world's greatest upset in the yeah. sports history. No, no, uh, it was that time that you guys uh, won a game 1-1. One, one. Against we? you? Yeah. In uh, the World Cup, right yeah. through Mr. Green's legs. Yeah, I don't know why they ever put him in goal for England. He was shit at the best of times. <laughs> Were you living in the States when that happened? <laughs> no. No? <laughs> oh, Did you cry? Remember. No, it was just... Uh, no one really gave a shit. It was just... Oh, well. Did <laughs> Did you did you throw uh, something at your telly? No, I was uh, I was at a bar and I took a sip Shocker. of my drink and life went on. <laughs> I feel like England fans and I obviously I'm not an England fan, don't live there, but from the outside I sure feel like they've been betrayed so many times that now they just are like, meh, we'll get them next time. Yes, <laughs> pretty much. That that was the worst part about the Euros. There were 15 minutes 
that I believed it was going to happen. It just happened to be the exact 15 minutes before the penalty shootout. <laughs> I, I will say, however, one of my favorite teams of all time was the 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 Gaza, Alan Shearer, Teddy Sheringham, you know, uh, England team. Was that was that 90? No, not 98. Is it 96? 96. Uh, yeah. Somewhere uh, I, I like that. That famous Palestinian footballer, Gaza. Yeah. <laughs> with the, with the, uh, the, the chair, the barber chair, squirt Don't water. Rude, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Euro 96 was a, was an absolutely magic. Yeah. Time. Um, that was a good team. Hopefully the 2026 world cup will have that same sort of feeling here. <laughs> Buzz has completely missed Dan's not so subtle shot across his bow. I'm just choosing to ignore it because I say Gaza the way Buzz, an American says Buzz, it. Buzz is not famous for pronouncing names. No, no, well, neither. Actually, no, he's very famous for pronouncing. <laughs> yeah, I say it the way my gringo Texan butt says it, and you can just deal with it. Palestinian. Very funny. Uh, you've made me feel better, Dan. Thank you. I'm going to need that tonight. Wow. I have a feeling. Uh, okay, and I don't. I apologize because, really, like I said at the beginning of this, I'm hoping uh, you know Buzz has punched in the Disco Inferno theme because, lo and behold, we are now on a winning streak. We being Football Club Dallas. Look who comes to town. Portland comes to town, and Dallas wrecks them on the debut of one Alan Velasco. And I'm just going to say this straight off the bat: immediately that kid single-handedly changes so many different aspects of this team that you see, I mean, right off the bat, body language amongst the team is different when he's on. They just look more confident with him. They play faster, more, uh, more with more purpose. Uh, it, and I know Portland wasn't in the best of shapes and came out slow and sluggish, but uh, man, that was a fun first half of uh, FCD soccer. Yeah, first start for Velasco, not not debut, but yeah. Um, again, again, yeah, fair you know, it, like the, the kid is a magical talent. That's why you pay seven million dollars for him. There's no question. It's but it isn't just that he's talented. There's also, as we've talked about a bunch this year, he fits the system too. Where O'Brien doesn't, and so that's a that's as much a part of it as it is that the kid is talented. And as we talked about from the viewing and practice, the ball just glues to his feet. You know, he is able to yank it and pull it and turn it in ways that most people can't. You know, that's what makes him so magical. You know, and if you go back a week before the goal he scored, you know, everyone that watches that goal can't help but think Messi, right? So, I mean, that's like the kid apparently. The goal last week against Nashville. The goal the week before. Yeah. The one where he drove through. You know, so it's that kind of. Thinking is what you think when you're watching him. He reaches you emotionally. Your soccer emotions get triggered because he has that kind of verve to him. So the whole team gets a lift when he's in, you know, partially because you know he's going to play the way you want to play. You're going to play with those combinations. If you pass it to him, you're going to get it back, you know. So everyone plays better and it's an exciting time. And you can tell everyone's excited to be involved with the offense because it's working. Now we'll check back in August and see if we're still excited when it's really hot. But right now, everything's going gangbusters. Uh, Dan, I, I'm assuming you noticed, like I did, that it, unlike Obreon, Portland looked really worried about Velasco at all times. Uh, absolutely. And uh, speaking of Obreon not necessarily being worried, he should be because he is no longer the joint top scorer for FC Dallas. <laughs> My prediction is ruined. Yes. yes. Thank God. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a it was a great night, and uh, Velasco uh, is living up to the hype, as you as you say, Buzz. But really, the other part of this game that I want to talk most about is the continued progression of Cervania, Cerillo, and Pomacall, because. As good as other things are working, uh, at, at least in the course of these last couple of games, or specifically the Portland game, man, I really do enjoy watching those three kids play. Yeah, honestly, the whole thing is triggered uh, by Cerio, Evan Cerio. We have to give him a lot of credit. You know, if he's playing so well that the other guys are freed up a little bit from worry and don't have to be checking back into that flat three all the time. Now they do occasionally when they're sitting in a, a, a mid block, which they do, this team does a fair bit, particularly later in games, but um, the ground that Cerrillo's covering and the, the balls he's intercepting and picking up and winning a lot of that. I, I've actually asked coach about that. I was like, what's the big difference? Why has he made this leap forward? And he said, it's actually, it actually was just an adjustment in his positioning. He was sitting too deep and they moved him up away from the center backs and he's able to cut out those passes and intercept those passes. And it's made a world of difference because now he's getting those passes, you know, roughly five to 10 yards further up the field and he's covering sideline to sideline. And and that leaves both Paxton and Brandon Cervania free to play slightly higher up. And it lets them build in a progressive way, much easier from through that midfield triangle. And there's also some reactions that are happening. They're adjusting from game to game. They're adjusting the width of those guys and the depth of those guys to match up who they're going with. And that's a really high level tactical adjustment that's happening. So it's, it's, it speaks to the smarts, the soccer smarts of those three guys as well. Uh, and you have to give, I think you have to give some organizational credit for those all being guys. And Jesus also, of course, is a phenomenally high IQ player and they all came through the Academy and they were all coached up by, a, a succession of Oscar Pereja and, and Luchi Gonzalez and Chewy and um, Chris Hayden probably is influenced in that as well. The whole way and structure they've set up of educating these guys as they come through the system, you can see it in them. Now they're all exceptional players. Yes, but it's, you have to give some organizational credit, I believe for how smart they all are. And this coach emphasizes soccer intelligence. They rely heavy on it and they dig deep into the opposition and changing to the opposition. And that's why it's so important that players on the field are smart and react. And, you know, and it's less about plays you've called. It's more about how you plan ahead of time and how smart your players can execute it. Dan, who do you think of the three is playing the best so far this season? Uh, I think, you know, I think Surio um, has been absolutely outstanding. It's kind of interesting because, Brandon and and uh, Paxton are kind of taking it on a game by game. I think uh, you know Brandon first couple of games was phenomenal. Uh, Paxton really took the game by the balls uh, last weekend. But uh, as Buzz says, it's all under, underpinned by Serie winning back possession by kind of having that higher role, allowing them to really you know uh, deviate from from just kind of that typical eight positioning. And it seems weird that we didn't start with this, but boy, howdy, what perfect timing for Mr. Jesus Ferreira to uh, bag not one, not two, but three goals, three different type of goals, uh, especially leading into, uh, again, tonight uh, against Mexico, really. It could not have come at a better time. But it also came at a good time for his place at the club because, I, you know, we talked about this last week. Was it, you know, are we going to be worried about this or whatever? But I, man, that first goal, uh, and, and the fact that when you go back and watch what a fantastic team goal it is, but it starts 
with Jesus coming way back in that kind of false 90 kind of thing that, that they've asked him to do and ends with him finishing the, the uh, making the finish, man, that just bodes well uh, for him in the club. Yeah, this is the soccer IQ Jesus has. Again, you know, we talked about last week when we, we when we discussed the idea, were we worried about it? And, and at least my take was no, because he's getting in good positions. And the coach felt the same way. And it's entirely possible that getting that national team call up may put Jesus in a really positive mood and was just the spark he needed to get this goals. But you have to go fast, go past the fact that it was the fastest hat trick in club history. Like when you add the assist, this is one of the maybe five or six single best games in club history because he actually tied a record of um, a goal and assist happening, uh, which has happened four times. Oh, is that, am I reading that right? No, it's happened more than that. It's happened from like four different people. So it's Dante Washington, Jason Christ, Bobby Ryan, and Jeff Cunningham. They're the one Jason Christ did it three times and Cunningham twice. So that number of four things, goals and assists is, is a, like six people ever have done it. And when you elevate it even more specifically to the hat trick and assist combo, that's only happened twi- twice before. Jesse Christ did it once and Bobby Ryan did it once. So you're talking about an exceptional performance that should be marked as one of the single best games in club history. It's a phenomenal game. And he did it in 15 minutes alone. And, you know, you can, you can combine the whole performance. Of course, the goals is a big part of it. He was just, it was just an extraordinary, extraordinary game by that individual guy combined with a good team comprehensive play as well, because you never can do it by yourself, of course. Yeah, it was interesting because he was able to ex and see this is where Buzz and Dan, I'm really interested in your perspective. How much was Jesus's performance, the differences between what we saw against Portland versus the other games, how much of that had to do with Jesus just turning it up a notch and how much it had to do with the competition they were facing? Well, for me, obviously, it's it's good to come up against a team missing its two starting center backs. There's no question. But, you know, Jesus has always been, uh, had the ability, you know, it's just a question of, for me, it was just a question of early season. You know, you're still trying to work out the kinks with the guys. You got in, the, got, the new guy came in and looks really bright. Everyone's feeling positive. He got a call up. All it took was just one and then boom, it there goes the dam. You know, it never was anything more than just like a little bit of a early season hiccup that he wasn't scoring before, in my opinion. So uh, I don't think that he changed anything. It's just that it was a night where things were going right for him and it all came together. I think, I think when you look back at the last couple of games, he's uh, kind of refined, uh, you know, what, what he should be doing as the false nine. His uh, touch maps in the first couple of games – looked more like an eight he's you know absolutely all over the place uh against portland there was a nice band across the midfield and then that like zone 14 area they're right in front of the box dead central where he was uh you know kind of getting his last set touches and, and taking shots from uh, even you know i think um I, I don't remember if i actually did it or not but i was going to clip a video from a couple of games ago where he was kind of 50-50 on dropping back into the midfield, making a touch and getting up in time for the actual attack. Uh, on on about half of the times he was doing it, it seemed like Ariola or um, Obreon were having to kind of come inside and and cover just because he wasn't able to keep up with the pace of play. But, I mean, he was nailing it. Every, uh, that first goal was the perfect example of, of what a false nine is supposed to do about how they were trying to overload the midfield with... Jesus dropping back into there, uh, which obviously you know was a a contributing factor to them making the halftime change that really 
you know, change the quality of Portland's play. Uh, I just think, you know, he's adapting to, to a new role and kind of getting that progression. They talked after um, after the game about this one was a long time coming. And, you know, I don't know how much of that is coach and player speak, but I think when you when you do kind of go back and, and look at those position graphs and everything else uh, for each of the four games, it, it really was it really was coming. Buzz, uh, in the press conference, um, Nico was asked about the fact that the team appeared to play faster. Uh, and I think, if I'm correct, all three of those goals are a byproduct of this team playing, if not one touch, no more than two touch passing uh, at, to kind of carve up Portland. And that, that, to me, was the big difference in this game. And and it, it went on. Even the sequence for the fourth goal was just really smart, quick, faster-than-Portland-can-keep-up kind of passing that really is an identifiable mark of a, of a quality attacking side. And I wonder, because it was so markedly different, how much of that, again, has to do with Velasco being on the field and how much of that is just maybe... I don't know. Is it something else? Is it a change in how Nico's told them to play? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the coach on this one because um, if you remember after the Nashville game, I, 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 we talked about the idea that coach said he wasn't happy with the build, that that was the first game where he thought it wasn't that they both were not good in their patterns and in their decision-making, but going back to the Toronto and the new England games, he was actually really happy with the way they played in terms of the build, in terms of getting forward in the quickness. And I can tell you that uh, through all of spring training, all the scrimmage games, all the practices, every session I've seen, there is a significant emphasis on rapid ball movement and rapid passing. It's not, it's, that's one of the most marked changes in terms of the style of play from Lucci. Lucci ball included a lot of passing the ball around in possession and keeping it just for the sake of keeping it. Well, this is not like that now. Every drill is quick, 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 you know, pass, pass, pass. It's all one and two touch combos, triangles, pass and move, pass and move. So there's an aggressiveness to the ball movement under this coach. He it literally has been now three months of pushing and pushing and pushing, even on Wednesday this week, still pushing, pushing, pushing those combinations and those quick passing and the aggressive attack for like specifically on this Wednesday, they were working on a drill where, there's a little bit of a pass back and forth. And then the minute they get the ball, it's turn and aggressively go forward and break down a back four with us with the holding bit in front of it with rapid passing and movement. So it's still, that's the point of emphasis. And for me, remark, you can, I think you can mark that as the number one difference so far between Lucci ball and the current play they're playing is that rapidity of, of both progression forward and ball movement in small interchanges. Uh, the one thing that really stuck out in my mind as an example of this is that first goal because of the, the short passing, but it was Paxton's kind of like no look, uh, lobbing across his body pass after finding that ball from Jesus into an open Velasco on the left-hand side that I thought really marked the, I thought one that's classic Paxton, right? Yeah. Like that's such a thing, but I don't think we'd really seen that out of him so far this year. Yeah. Well, Look, uh, this is not a trash O'Brien thing, but O'Brien's style is a vertical it's style, okay, right? You can get be- get behind the defense, right? Well, can we agree yeah. that's kind of a style, right? Yeah, so of course. This rapid ball movement, when you put Velasco into the team, that's his game. So it's not it's not a coincidence to me that Paxton Paxton has lit on fire 
the last game and a half when Velasco has come in, who plays this kind of game and therefore enables Paxton to also engage in this kind of game. And all of a sudden Paxton has two secondary assists. He's more lively. He's penetrating more. So there, that's why there's a direct impact. And again, I talk about this. It's not just that Velasco is skilled. It's that the skill fits the system and you can play the way the coach wants you to play. And Paxton comes alive and all of a sudden Paxton's a better player as well. So, and then we're relieve some burden from Brandon and Brandon doesn't have as many touches as he was had the first two games you know, or first three games. So it, all these things are going to connect it. And, the, and, and Paxton's recent play, which is elevated, I think a lot of it is because Velasco's in there and helping Paxton to elevate because Paxton wants to play with those guys in that kind of way. After the game, or the day after the games, the great Steve Davis uh, tweeted the video of the pause save in the second half after Portland had scored their first goal. And I'm glad he did that because in the in the seconds after that happened, I literally not just thought to myself, but I turned to the person I was watching the game with and I said, am I wrong or is that not the first like legitimately difficult save we'd have to we've we've seen this guy have to make in the first four and a half games of this season or three and a half, whatever the number is of the season. And it don't, I think it really was. I think, I don't think up until that point, they've been so much better in terms of reducing the number of, you know, dangerous chances. That may have been the first time we'd really seen something like that out of him. I think really that the tip over the bar earlier in the game was his first actual save. Was it really? Like I mean, everything's of, been of the whole season crosses. or just the, or just the game. Like first, first real save of the season. Everything yeah. else has just been claiming crosses. Hmm. Yeah, you know, you guys know one of the hardest things about playing keeper when you're in a team that ha- that has a limited number of opportunities coming is sometimes it's staying engaged. It's like you know, pause had to, has had to do very little for the first three or four games, and then all of a sudden you need two big, huge saves out of him, and he came up on both of them. So it's really nice to see that from him because we weren't sure if he had it or not. Uh, and that's that's a really positive uh, moment. You know, obviously it keeps him in the game. Of course, that's huge. But also that, you know, you can rely on him back there to not be asleep, to be able to come up with a big one when he hasn't really even touched the ball hardly this year. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, we're So are we in is anybody uh, feeling like uh, Jimmy's lost his gig or like, where are we on the goalkeeping situation, Buzz? Well, Jimmy was hurt and that allowed Paz to get in there. And then, you know, I, I don't know that Paz is so much better that it's like, oh, Jimmy, you're screwed. But Paz has also not done something in order to get him lifted. Like if he, he almost making, did at the beginning of the game, by the way. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the weak spot for him, uh, from my own vision, the weak spot I say is that his ability to pass out of the back is not quite as good as Jimmy's. And the ability with the ball at his feet is not quite as good as Jimmy's. So if you. If, if that becomes a problem, if all of a sudden he's making poor passes out and they're getting intercepted or he gives up a goal that way, that will open the door again for Jimmy to come in. But in the meantime, he's not making any gaffes that are that are they're saying, oh, man, we better get Jimmy back in there. You know, he's performing reliably enough to keep his job and they're not going to they're not going to go back to Jimmy just because Jimmy was the guy before. You don't just automatically get your gig back if the other guy's playing really well. Uh, all right, Dan. So let's talk about that vaunted defense, which is shutting down all the chances. Uh, it's interesting that we're getting this result when half of the back four is significantly different than it was this time last year. 
I think it's been great to see Matt Hedges uh, really back to his old self. Um, two weeks in a row now, I think I'm going to say uh, uh, Jose Martinez had his, his best game in a, in an FC Dallas shirt. It was kind of interesting. Normally we see Hedges as is the lead build player out of the back in this uh, this past weekend. That responsibility switched over to uh, Martinez. I think he had the most touches uh, it, potentially in the game. Uh, progressive passes, everything was uh, you know very high up, uh, which is which is a nice move, uh, particularly in that counter uh, that counter pressing style that Portland have because it just frees up Matt Hedges to be the cover guy. Um, you know you've got uh, Farfan again has been fantastic every game so far this season. I think um, Nani wasn't. Uh, wasn't phenomenal, but uh, didn't necessarily need to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's uh, been fantastic to see. And then obviously, uh, again, we've mentioned Edwin Cerillo kind of being uh, such a great cover, those moments he drops back into the defense or or, or is the shield um, from the midfield. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been uh, such a remarkable turnaround from last year. And you think about how great uh, Nikosi Tafari was at times last season and you know he's he's uh, struggling to get any minutes right now can I talk about Nano since I trashed him last week yeah of course yeah so, so two things first someone to- said to me on Twitter and I apologize I didn't look up who it was to think of Ezra Hendrickson like in the in terms of like the body and the way he moves and that's a good shout because he reminds me once I somebody suggested that he doesn't remind me of Ezra in, the, in terms of how he moves and the second thing is uh, he made a run. I think it's about 10 minutes into the game. He made a run from basically his own box all the way to the other box, just maximum effort, busting his tail to get all the way up there. And if you do that kind of effort, you do that kind of things, you're going to, you're going to endear yourself to, to me. You know, I'm going to say, man, I, well, that that's the kind of guy I love. I love that kind of effort. Now I still don't love the way he moves. And I, as Dan said, I thought he was, for the most part, okay in this game, but those moments where you put in that extra effort like that, I'm going to give you a lot of benefit of the doubt that I have not previously because you're doing that kind of stuff. I still think there's some stuff I don't love, particularly when I see him in training or when you get into small space stuff is a little clunkiness there that I don't love, but I'm willing to take a little of that. If you're going to give me end to end busting like that, then I'll, I'll, I'll let you have a couple clunks there here and there. I think with Nani, you know, when we, you know, saw his uh, his highlights from uh, whatever the team before Porto was when he was like, you know, really lighting up uh, um, the the Portuguese league. You know, his his play was very expansive. Uh, you know, he's playing those off foot cross field passes, um, crossing well on either foot, re- shooting well off his off his left foot, which is uh, definitely his weaker foot and. You know, other than the, like you say, the, the runs, I mean, his hustle getting forward is is outstanding. Uh, FC Dallas' style doesn't really seem to fit him as well uh, as what he had, uh, you know, had in, in Portugal. But, uh, I mean, if he's putting that kind of effort in, it's kind of like watching uh, Emma uh, uh, right back similarly is, you know, he's going to he's gonna definitely make up a lot of the ground just in, in that aspect. It's interesting because we've talked a lot about the thinness of the roster and center mid, but I, what uh, kind of uh, 
came to mind in this game was Nanu went down kind of late in the game, and I thought, oh, Emma's going to sub in for him, and then he came and he didn't go off the field. And then Farfan, who I think has been uh, a fantastic addition, as you know, went down, and Emma had to come in and play left back. So two questions, Buzz. One, do we have an injury update on Farfan? And two... Uh, do we have uh, an issue of coverage at those positions? Uh, one, far, no injury worry about Farfan. Uh, like I, I, I think I mentioned um, the week before that they held him out from sessions because of workload. And so like I actually predicted that he, they would bring him out at roughly that exact time because of workload and that Emma would be the guy. So that was basically a planned substitution. But you, but you know, oh, okay, because he had gone down. Yeah, on the broadcast, yeah. uh, Steve said he'd been dealing with a bit of groin tightness, and he went yeah. down holding his groin a couple of times. Oh, yeah, co- okay. coach coach said that he has a tiny bit of groin tightness. It's not an injury. It's just like early season workload stuff. So he's not hurt. You know what I mean? There's a difference there. Maybe people yeah. in the audience don't know that, but there's a difference between being actually hurt and just having a little – if you ever played at all, you might have games where your quad's a little tight or something, right? And it's the same sort of thing it's a little annoying. And so like they, they knew going in and I had predicted going in that they were going to lift him at a certain time. And then uh, the problem was that Nanu did get, as you say, point two, Nanu was getting tired and they wanted to try and push him deeper, but they felt like they should take him out. Right. But then they couldn't because they needed to take Farfan out. So like for sure, absolutely hundred percent. There's a coverage problem there in the sense of ability to trust anybody yet. Cause you know, Eddie Munjomba has been on the bench some because he can theoretically play right back, left back, or right wing or left wing. So, like, there's a lot of versatility there in an emergency, but that's not the same as trusting him enough to actually putting him into a game for uh, either Nanu or, or Farfan. Now, Ima can spell both those guys, and so ordinarily you don't need to sub both of them, you know, so that's when you run into a problem. Isaiah Parker, who I've raved about, is – you know, he's still like a, you have to compare him to like when Reggie came out of UCLA after one year, that's where he is. He has tons of talent, a big, huge upside, but he needs to play with North Texas for maybe half of this season before he's going to contribute to the first team. So right this minute, they're light on the outside. Uh, they can do something like put Tafari out there. He's got that in him. Uh, and then the new guy, um, Kenyonis, the new center back, he also has enough of a vertical component now that he's, uh, I want to talk about him again later when we get to the training part, but I think he's going to be in the mix a little bit, potentially as a outside back sub if you have to use him. So um, I think that coverage is getting a little bit better as of this week, in fact, because of that guy. So it, it definitely is not something that's locked down in terms of how it will go. And actually having two outside backs on the bench is not necessarily something you might have had anyway, because you rarely would sub both of them, you know, so it's not an overwhelming concern, but there's a little bit of concern only because Parker is really young and Munjoma has not uh, earned his way into this coach's trust yet, which is not to say that he won't. He might, but yeah. you know, as of now, he has not. So that, that's something to watch a little bit too. Uh, let me just say that uh, Emma on the left very much gives me Ryan Hollinghead on the right vibes. Yeah. No, it's not an ideal situation. He's not a left-sided player, although he did play left wing a fair amount at, at Wake, but not left back. So he's it's definitely uncomfortable. But um, you know the, the staff before and the staff both trust him enough that I, I see him play both wing spots and as an eight in training as well in given situations. So they trust his overall ability to compete in this league. 
but you guys know that's not the same as being game ready and full blown. Like I, I got it at right back. Like he does, you know, you know, uh, I, 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 I was just wondering because Velasco gets subbed out. Obreon comes in and it suddenly dawned on me, Buzz, what is going on with Shabalik shown? Well, he missed a fair decent amount of spring, um, with, with call-ups, you know, and then, so he was behind on fitness and, and then behind on trying to get the system. And then, you know, Velasco came in. So they're trying to, you know, basically there's an overloaded wing. They brought in two big time players at the position he plays. They brought in Ariola on the right and they brought in Velasco on the left. So that's two check marks further down the depth chart. And he's going to have to fight his way up the chart and get in there. He's going to fight his way past Obreon basically in order to get minutes. So uh, he, he has now migrated to the bench. At least he, I don't remember him on the Portland game or not. I know for sure he was on there the game before. So I think he's close to being in there. It's just, you know, young, got to keep working. He hasn't, didn't have as much time with the coach. All that kind of stuff kind of piles up. So obviously the, the first couple of games, he still had that calf strain, came back from, to the bench for Nashville um, and then missed Portland. Was that just a coach's decision or was that injury? I, I don't know that he's injured. Um, you know, I think it's just coach's decision in the sense that like, if you, if you miss enough time training and if you miss enough time with call-ups, if you're going to have another call-up coming up, you know, the coach is not necessarily, you're not in his first thoughts as to who's going to be coming into a game, you know, and there is a certain, only a certain amount of room on the bench and you have to plan for eventualities of who's going to come in in this or that situation and who can make, who can cover multiple positions, you know, like Khalil, for example, I don't. I don't know if he was on the bench or not, but Khalil right now is training as an eight a lot. So he adds a dimension of I can eight, I can wing. Or and like Munjoma, who has made benches before, like I said, multiple positions. So it's not always necessarily that Shun has been bad. It's just that Shun hasn't been here as much to get himself into the coach's trust wheelhouse. And, you know, he he only has the one position that he can play right now, which is basically left wing. Or you could probably put him on right if you had to, but really it's he's a little one-dimensional. And that makes it harder to fit him into the bench if you're trying to manage eventualities. And one thing I can tell you for sure about this coach is that he's a micromanager of games and tactics. Like he heavily, heavily adapts what they're doing to the opposition. And that includes like the roles of who he's going to picking and choosing, you know, off the bench and even in games. So um, I'm not worried about Shun. I think he's got plenty of talent. I know the organization loves that U22 initiative because Shun showed so much last year. So I think it's just a question of him playing the way the coach wants him to play. And he hasn't been able to get on that when you're hurt and you're called up. Like you go, you guys know this, you go to a national team for a couple of weeks, you come back, you've forgotten what you're supposed to be doing. Right. And it takes a couple more weeks to adjust back. And now he's going to be gone again, or he was hurt again. So it's just a lot of things conspiring against the kid right now. And, you know, one of the things that I I think this is a good sign, I think it is, we've been through all of this, uh, these games of the season, and we haven't spent a tremendous amount of time talking about uh, Paul Areola. Dan, since you were the one that questioned him maybe the most, um, how are you feeling about Pauly Nips after all of this? Pretty damn good. Pretty damn good. I, I think this question was in the podcast just so you could call him Pauly Nips again. Yeah, that's I actually have it written down. How do I get in Polly Nips into? By the way, there are already exist in existence T-shirts with male nipples on it. You just need oh. to add the word Polly on top of it, Buzz. I've done some research for it. Oh, you. thank you. 
No, seriously, Dan. I mean, is it? I mean, is it a good thing? I mean, what does it mean when we get through this time and the team is playing pretty well, and the you know the big trade for a national team player has resulted in a guy who has been legitimately solid, not outstanding, not like a game changer, but has been completely solid. Does that mean? Is there something to read into that? No, I think just think it's a byproduct of um, <clears throat> someone who's come in and and hit the ground running um you know he's talked about being uh almost like an ambassador to uh nico's style to the guys that haven't haven't played under him before um you know he's obviously was you know mentioned by alan velasco is uh you know calling him while he was still back in argentina um you know, producing on the field, got his first goal, got the assist in uh, in the first game. Uh, just been reliable. I mean, the reason, you know, we haven't been talking about him because he's been doing everything right. Uh, whereas, you know, maybe we were talking about how Obreon was, you know, not necessarily uh, linking up well with uh, with Ariola or or uh, Jesus. It's just, yeah, the, with, the, with the sum of products of things that have been surprising... You know, I think he's just kind of not been one of those great surprises who's come in and, you know, has he lived up to uh, $2 million? I don't know, but he's lived up to uh, certainly, uh, you know, being a blockbuster trade for FC Dallas. I'll, I'll add real quickly two things. One is he leads the team in key passes, which is like a scoring creating pass, right? So he has mm-hmm. nine that leads the team. And number two is I, I'm just going to double down on what Dan said about the leadership of like knowing the system, knowing the coach and being able to integrate the system and, and pass on the system, both to the English and Spanish speaking kids in the team and, uh, and, yeah. and, 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 and offering some work ethic. And this is how we pro kind of all that jam. I, I, I think you cannot undersell. You remember I talked about him being captain, you know, because he's, he has a lot of the, the, the more talking qualities that hedges lacks. And I think, so I, I don't think you, the, the leadership alone for me on made the $2 million trade work. Yeah, uh, uh, and specific to that, and I can't remember if it was the Portland game or the Nashville game, but there was a moment where there was a a moment of controversy, and there was some questions being directed at the referee and a discussion being had about somebody, you know, something not going their way. And the person conducting the the discussion was Paul, not uh, not Hedges, who was, you know, 40 yards away and it, and wasn't making the captain's effort to go, <laughs> you know, uh, express his opinion, but Polly was. And I and I and that stuck with me there. So I think that you've got something on the eventually Paul's going to end up being captain of this team idea that you started with Buzz. Yeah, he he has all the qualities I personally think a captain should have. And listen, I have no disrespect to Matt Hedges. I'm perfectly happy that he's captain. He's earned the right to be captain on this team for as long as he wants to be captain, but the the one negative about him is that he's a quiet leader. He's not a vocal demonstrative leader. He tries to be, but it's not in his nature. And <laughs> it is in, yeah, right? We all know, right? But it is in Paul's nature. He's a gregarious, outspoken guy, yet he has phenomenal work ethic and is a very smart player as well. Very high IQ, very heady, understands how it all works, speaks both languages that are important here in Dallas. So, you know, all the qualities for me of what could be, what I meant, I thought he was going to be captain, honestly. Um, but I, I'm again, I'm glad that Hedges is captain. I think he's earned that.
So, Buzz, uh, let's before we finish talking about the game, what I'm interested in hearing from your perspective is what did Portland, I mean, all right, you introduced Blanco, that's going to make a difference, but did uh, Savarese make tactical changes or did Dallas just come out flat being up 3 nothing? I mean, what was really the impetus for the dramatic change in tone uh, mm. with Portland's, uh, you know, with everybody getting a little, little, little worried that maybe Portland was going to find their way back into the game until the pause save? Yeah, this was actually my favorite part of my conversation I have with coach this week um for, for, I'm, for i'm gonna tell you the thing that i thought was fascinating from the beginning of the conversation from the beginning of the game excuse me not the conversation is that dallas intentionally uh used a delay uh attack forward out of their outside backs on purpose they delayed them getting forward the, the, to hesitate because they wanted to try and make the portland wings be lazy and like lull them into a sense of our outside backs aren't attacking today. So they would wait and then go and support forward. So number one, I find that a fascinating idea as part of the micromanaging of your opponents. And the second thing was I asked him directly about the halftime. I did it in my burn, like the bit of like, there was a failure to adjust to a Blanco coming in the game, right? So he said that like for five minutes, they were really good. And then Portland narrowed their play because they had um, Bronco come in and they had the other guy whose name I forget, came in underneath narrowly and they sort of overloaded the midfield. Right. And that opened up the, that's why I said uh, there should have been a recognition that you should play wide in those scenarios. And he said, what happened was, is that the reaction from the Dallas wingers and forwards was to press a little higher to try and get the ball back. And that opened the gap between the defense and the offense. And it, it meant that Paxson and Cervania were too high and left Cerrillo on an island. So when they tried, they were forced, Dallas' only outlet at that point was to try and play into Cerrillo, which of course was blocked by the two wingers that were playing narrowly. So they adjusted formations in order to solve that problem and able to have a flatter midfield and tighten up the space. And then they were able to build out much better. Now, of course, Portland was better the whole second half because they're down and they're chasing and Dallas is playing conservatively. That's part of it too. And they did have better players come in. So there's a double adaptation there uh, from the coach in terms of the formation and recognition that that space was the problem in order to compress it back down. So that there was more outlets than just Cerrillo. And that's why there was so much problem for like 15 minutes there as they got that adapted. And the fourth goal. Helped solve problems yeah, well, too. Yes, yeah. When you put, you know, if you look at the that XG chart that people do, well, I'm not a huge XG guy, but the trends in those charts are telling. And most of the second half, they were having better XG opportunities. And then here's the outlier counter goal by Dallas, which of course puts the game completely out of way at that point. So, um, yeah, getting the extra goal is a big reliever of pressure, you know, and that and and weathering those first 20 minutes when they came out really hot you know, getting through that phase was really important. So um, lots of good signs that there's for sure, not just halftime adjustments, but oh goodness, the other team adjusted to something we didn't see coming and quick adjustment within like 10 minutes. I mean, that's really nice to see and hear uh, about a coaching staff, I think. Yeah, if you haven't, go back and watch that fourth goal because Paxton does a tremendous amount of work to kind of get that thing going. And when the goal is scored, he's actually laying on the ground. He had been kind of taken out. 
and uh, and his celebration while laying on the ground is pretty tremendous. He's pretty. I, I you could tell he was really proud of that particular goal and what it meant in terms of the game because it kind of just killed everything off, and that was a a really nice moment. Uh, the, the other parts of the game, not necessarily on the field, that I wanted to mention. First off, I got to tell you, <clears throat> I was uh, when this is a little bit of uh, kit nerd talk here for a second. Um, if you guys don't mind me interjecting that here in this weird part of the podcast, uh, when they were introduced online, I thought the Portland Rose theme, whatever we're calling those thing kits, looked pretty good. But in person, they're awful. They're terrible looking. The color, the two color choices of that shirt in person, it literally looks like grandma's curtains. It, it's just not it's not pleasing to the eye in any way, shape or form. Yeah, it's kind of washed out. It doesn't pop. Right. Yeah. I mean, I... what's milk? It's kind of like Pepto Bismol paint. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. And, and it's just not a good color. And the and the rose design is too vague to understand that that's what it is. It just looks like weird smudges in brown on a on Pepto Bismol pink. That and I hate to say that because I thought I was really I was looking forward to seeing them, but I was really disappointed with their appearance in person. Dan, over to you. Gross. <laughs> why do you think they're gross oh i mean i i didn't get to see them in person but uh oh yeah, okay it's that's just, right you uh, weren't there yeah i'm i'm saddened to hear that they're more pepto bismol they kind of look like a nice like uh light pink but i don't like the way it's uh the, the thing that always got me was there's one of the rose patterns is like dead center of the collar and it just kind of looks, yeah, like, looks like it frames somebody's head in a wrench yeah, there are moments where you look at it and it looks like somebody was eating a, a melty Hershey bar and it's melted all over their shirt. Yeah, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, it's not my favorite. No, now the other thing that we should well, talk because it's oh, like I'm a, sorry. The second color's like a burgundy that in some lights looks brown, in some look blue, in others look black. It, it's just it's kind of like that second purple on the on the Seattle kit where no one until you see like a real up close photo, you're like. Right. What color oh, there's is purple that? in there. Yeah, huh. that's a good point. And maybe maybe in the sunlight, that shirt and that whole experience looks different. But under the lights at Toyota Stadium, uh, it, it was not impressive. In fact, it was yeah. disappointing. I feel like that's a shirt that's designed for people to wear to a bar rather than look great on a field. You know what I mean? Like it's a social yeah. kit, not a on the field kit. Yeah, fair enough. Now, I do feel like we do need to take a moment to recognize something has happened on last Saturday that I'm fairly certain has never happened in the history of Toyota Stadium, which is a full-on sellout for the third game of a season. Now, not the third sellout. It's the first sellout of the season. But to sell out the third game of the season, I'm fairly I mean, sellouts are so rare at Texas, at uh, Texas, at Toyota Stadium uh, you could literally count them on two hands, maybe even one hand, regular season games at least. So I thought that was pretty fantastic that some of the stuff that they've been doing in terms of marketing uh, and getting some excitement on the field appears to be working. Well, the cynic in me will point out that there were fireworks, right? And $10 uh, tickets. Yeah. But I thought they were $25 tickets on the on the east side. Isn't that the March no, they deal? they did both. They did a second deal as well. Yeah, the twenty five oh, included fifteen dollars okay. of merch of, of not sorry of uh, stand food or whatever. Okay. So here's my thing: if in fact that's what it takes to get that 
thing, that vibe that was really fun that night. And I'm sure the fact that they were up three nothing in 30 minutes uh, helps that a lot, right? Yeah. Like that could be a really morbid place with 19,000 people on a you know if they're down three nothing. But they've got to. I hope that this new marketing guy talks them into doing these ticket offers more often. And I know the math is weird, but I still have to believe that 18,000 people at 25 and 10 bucks from some seats is still more money with all the concessions and parking and everything than 13,000 people at 40 bucks a seat. Yeah, me too. And, and here's where I will give them a whole lot of credit because I saw some random person today tweet that they had gone to the game. And after the game, they got a call from FC Dallas saying, did you enjoy your experience? Would you like to come again? Now, it's possible they've done that kind of stuff in the past, but to do it following up a sellout like this, where you maybe had a bunch of new people come because of the fire rush or because of the cheap tickets and getting people engaged, right? That's the whole thing, right? Get people to come to the stadium and enjoy themselves. Game experience, right? We talk about it all the time. Following up on that, hey, nice job. I I'll give you credit for that. So the thing, they've, they've always done like a follow-up, but the follow-up in the past and, you know, thinking back, you know, times that I've had that follow-up or friends have had that follow-up after like going to a first game. It's almost like harassment. Like, yeah, let's get you, let's get you that season ticket. Like, you know, not, not just, Hey, so what did you think? Did you enjoy it? Like, let's build a relationship. I want to be a ticket rep. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's just uh, having the right sales leadership in place and understanding the right way and the wrong way to pursue sales. Yeah. And, and, and also a byproduct of largely having salespeople that are very young and inexperienced and making sure they're trained properly. So, um, uh, I mean, if they're doing it right, then that's a good sign. Yeah. This person tweeted out that it was a positive that the person that they, they answered, yes, absolutely, I had a great time. And so to me, like to, to see that kind of thing, I've not really seen that very much before. So I uh, think there's a payoff happening of, yes, they got people into the building, but yes, those people also had a good time. So as you say, maybe winning is a big part of that, but it's all part of building a fan base that we, we've been talking about for 25 years. Yeah, here. well, I, I know that neither one of you were able to go, but I will tell you after attending these games now for 25 years in three different locations, there was a different vibe Nice. Saturday night than I have experienced in quite some time in that place. And it was before the game. It was before the goals. It was just, there's something a little different. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it was just different and it was great. It, of course it took forever. I mean, here's the problem. It, it, and of course there's always a, but from me, right? Here's yeah. the, but there's two butts actually the first, <laughs> but the, the there's the first, but is, is when that place has a sellout on on three sides, the empty north stage end becomes even more of an incredible sore thumb sticking out. It's ridiculous how bad that looks and what it, and what an annoyance it is that that end of the field is completely empty. It's it's a real disaster and they've got to come up with some sort of temporary solution yeah. for something to go over there because now it looks like every other car dealership in the Dallas Fort Worth area that doesn't have any all but two cars to sell, <laughs> right? That's what it looks like. And uh, and it, it drove me nuts. The second thing, the second but is when that but when that facility is full it suddenly now reminds all of us of all of the really weird design elements that they put into this thing that it, that expose it as a really poor game day experience as a facility because it can't handle the number of people it was designed to handle in the first place. 
like the flow of traffic is really weird. Um, the egress and ingress, not just within the stadium itself, but just trying to get off the tollway or from some of the, oh, the yeah. ancillary roads is just brutal. I don't know how we're 15 years into this stadium and they still haven't figured out a way to work with the North Texas tollway system to get another exit off the tollway that would help with ingress and egress from that facility. It's the, it's the craziest thing when you're coming up the tollway an hour before the game and you know it, you, you can tell what kind of crowd it's going to be because the line of people waiting to get off at main street at the tollway can back up for a mile or so. And it's always over a mile. Yeah. And you know, you gotta, and I'm not going to say it here because it's top secret. The other alternate way into the stadium is the only way to save yourself 30, 40 minutes of waiting in line at the main street exit to get in there. So, um, yeah, it, it, that's the two things about the sellout Saturday night that I that are my uh, my negatives. And I think those are both negatives and I don't have solutions for either one. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, the other thing that I noticed in the game, because I have not I have this is new to me. Did they quit doing the scarfing ceremony? Yeah, I believe they let it sort of just pan out after, you know, somewhere in the pandemic, they just sort of let it fade out because they couldn't do it because of that. And they just sort of. Bro, okay, let it go. They I think. also just weren't getting good people for the longest time. It was like, hey, here's someone off the Cowboys practice squad. Every week. Yeah. Because it seemed yeah. like, you know, such a long time ago that they they had uh, Dak, I guess, was the last, like, really, really good scarfer, which is the whole point of it, right? It's you, you have a celebrity that people want to come out and see. I was, you know, it's weird because when the scarfing ceremony was going on, I, I think I found it kind of weird and silly. Part of it is the location of the statue and the timing of it and all of that. But now that, but the fact that it just kind of, it's kind of like the the uh, the season ticket holder sales checks. The fact that it just kind of evaporated and went away with a whimper, yeah, is kind of disappointing. I was, I didn't know that it had uh, gone anywhere. I, I was kind of surprised by all of that. That's crazy. Well, well, right. On the other side of the coin, I do like the cowboy hat man of the match thing. That's fun. Yeah, that's that's great, and I think it's the players than kind having of having a a cartoon cow branding leather. Yeah, that was a bad miss. That one. <laughs> the hat's better, way better. Yeah, please save me. Very good. All right, so Dallas ends up beating Portland four to one. Am I wrong in saying that they're up to what fifth place in the West? Is that well, right? I had it open. Let me double check. They're fifth. Yeah, seven yeah. points. Technically tied for fourth with Austin. Ugh. I don't know. My nose might start bleeding. The elevation <laughs> yeah. up here is so high. It's uh, a little hotty hoity toity up here. Well, they the have had a fair elevation. number of home games. Listen, we talked about how the this schedule had a brutal start, and they've done a nice yeah. job with the start. They've gotten some points off of some teams you might not have predicted. They've gotten a you know a, a solid performance on the one road game. So, you know, things feel pretty good about where they are in the standings considering how tough the schedule is. Yeah, and uh, lo and behold, there's a good chance that a, a f uh, there may be more than a few uh, Dallas t players with Dallas ties directly or indirectly on the field for the United States tonight. I, saw, I think the Athletic had a lineup that I had at, what, four? It yeah. had uh, Paul Ariola, Jesus, Kellen, and I think Reggie was on there too. Maybe not Reggie. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, possibly, yeah. Yeah, that would be crazy. Um, all right, in Mexico for the important World Cup qualifier. It just blows my mind. Uh, uh, Dallas's next game isn't until next Saturday the 2nd. Now they're in Shikago, and they get to face Shakiri. Yeah. 
awesome sauce. And then the next Get game after that is with the Brimstone Cup. <laughs> home uh, against Colorado is the game after that. All right. Uh, anything else about Portland that uh, Victoire before we move on to other things? Uh, my, the only just that they continue to have efficient shot on goal. Like to the, this time it was 14 to eight. So th- that's a higher than it has been in the past. I think that's a pretty, that's over half in this particular case, shots on target to shots. So that's a really good ratio. That That's quality. That shows quality play. Even if the ball's not going in. Yeah. So uh, you did go to practice and you did get to go on a Wednesday. So cool yeah. because, uh, you know, no game. Uh, the, yeah. No game. Yeah. Uh, how, how did the conversation other than what else about the conversation with Nico and training? Can you share with us, Buzz? Well, the biggest thing was something we hit on a little bit is this idea that they're micromanaging um, uh, the tactics from game to game to game. And like every game so far, there's been like, a, oh, hey, I thought I saw you do this, that and the other thing in the game. And the answer has almost always been so far been like, yeah, that was directly response to the other team doing X, Y, or Z. Like, for example, the, the New England played a diamond midfield so that they built more through the wide spots. And like, you remember, we talked about Brandon being way out of the middle a lot. That was intentional because the, the New England had all those guys in the middle. So they spread it out more. And then versus Portland, there was this delay attack because they wanted to catch the Portland wings napping. So they were delaying as going forward from the outside. So um, the overall uh, interest in like, beyond just like we want to play our way like we're adapting our way and two three four games into the season we're adapting the way we're going to play to the way the team plays so that's really exciting you know and and there's almost always a reason behind these things that you're they're doing in the game uh and that's as a takeaway that's that's phenomenal so i the intensity is really high still they're still focusing on the same things as i said the rapid ball movement the quick transition so there's a lot to like about what's going on in training all right, so I want to move over to something else about the club because you tweeted a, or retweeted a video today with the heart-eyed emoji, <laughs> which means Buzz is in love. Yeah. And I'm wondering, have you met no. him yet? Have you no. met Ka yet? I have not met him, no. It's, yeah. a, it's a great video of Ka coaching his team in a small-sided drill. So good. It's really great, and he's got such a level of enthusiasm. It's so infectious. Uh, you you must watch it. Uh, and North Tech, speaking of which, their season does open this Saturday. Yeah, it's it's not just that he's got you know infection and fun. It's like there was also good coaching mixed in it. So that that's you know it wasn't like a all rah rah. It was rah rah, but also really good. So yeah, phenomenal. Um, I I think it's North Texas opens up against Minnesota United on Saturday. You can basically get a ticket if you want one. They're they're trying to get people there. Um, I just want to do real quick rundown, like a couple of players that I think are important, like who's going to come down from SC Dallas. I was actually really shocked today that they did. Uh, they did like a roster breakdown like I did a week ago and they listed Lucas Bartlett, who's this number six overall pick. I'm actually surprised to see that. I didn't think he would be involved with North Texas, but um, you know, he and Antonio Carrera is of course down full time. He's the homegrown keeper. And then Colin Smith is the right back is down full time. Isaiah Parker's been with them for a couple of weeks. So if you want to see how good Isaiah is, I think he'll for sure play. And the other two you might see sometime are Benny Regich and Nikki Hernandez. Both could use minutes to try and find their game again, but both are maybe a little past North Texas. Perhaps they're kind of caught in between, which is a different discussion about both those guys really could use alone. But um, so those are the players from FC Dallas. And then the key players that are directly under contract uh, Blaine Ferry is the big one, the eight in the middle, who basically made the first team, except he's already under contract, so you don't have to sign him. You just wait till you need him. 
Um, the kid, Andre Costa, who's the um, U.S. Brazilian youth international kid who plays left wing. He spent a whole lot of time with FC Dallas, too. So he's pretty, pretty big deal. And the captain, Derek Wahlbeck, is back. And the player that they signed that I'm most excited about is actually Pablo Torre, who's this striker from McAllen, Texas. And he's the one I think Hedges yelled at him or Tafari yelled at him in the game when they played that scrimmage that day because he was bringing such heat in that game. I, I, I love this kid's uh, aggressive mentality, like get in your face kind of mentality. I love that in a striker. And I want to see this kid play a bunch because I want to see what all he's got other than that mentality. Uh, and then uh, obviously Bernardo Camungo is back and Hope uh, Kudzo's back. Those guys are, have big upside and potential. And then if you want to talk academy, the big ones are going to be, uh, for me, Nolan Norris, who's my favorite player in the academy at left back. He's been playing a lot. Santiago Ferreira, Jesus' little brother, started the final scrimmage the other day as an eight, although I, he may not this weekend because depending on who all goes down. Uh, Anthony Ramirez, who's the winger that gets Mexico camps all the time. He started again, a couple of scrimmages in the spring. So those are the big th three, I think of the Academy players. Um, there, the, I still, I have a list of like 15, I think are going to be involved, but those are the three I think you could look for perhaps as long as Antonio's sorry, Anthony Ramirez is actually here. He might be with Mexico again. I'm not sure. So those are the three to look for, I think in the first game or so. So that's your real fast. You can go to the, I'll link later. I'll tweet out the article of my roster breakdown again. So everybody can see the, the 20 something people that are all getting involved and who they are and what they play and all that kind of stuff. Buzz, I'm going to throw a little sunshine your way. Cause I'm not even sure you're aware of what's happened over the last couple of years with you uh, being a known entity to the kids that make up the Academy and even the select in the, and the pay for play kids. Are you aware that when you mention kids within the academy, it is like a legitimately big deal to them and their <laughs> friends? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah it's it, like if Buzz Carrick says, man, I'm really hyped about this kid. If Third Degree tweets something about a kid or writes something in an article about, you know, prospects or whatever, it like the value in that to those kids is wow. greater than I think you're aware of. That's cool. I mean, you know, we, I, I watch it 100% with an eye towards FC Dallas, right? I'm looking for talent. I'm never out there to like trash anybody by any means, you know? So I'm looking for bright spots. I'm looking for guys doing yeah. exceptional things. And sometimes I'll, I'll, I like to celebrate kids that do something, even if it's if I just hear about it through, a, uh, you know, an alternate route, or even if it's a guy I don't necessarily think might end up playing for FC Dallas, if it's still a cool achievement, like Roman Torres that had the four straight hat tricks on the Dallas Cup, you know, I, I just love to acknowledge the work these guys are doing. And actually, it's pretty pleasing to hear that. I had no idea, but that's pretty cool. I, I like that. Young kid plays for one of the uh, select teams, not on the academy. Uh, I know his dad, and I met him a couple of weeks ago. And his dad goes, hey, uh, this is Peter. He's the host of the kick around on the ticket. And like <laughs> nothing but question marks came over this kid's <laughs> yeah. head. But somewhere in the conversation, he found out that I knew you. <laughs> and he was like, you know Buzz Carrick? You know Third Degree? He knew all about it, man. So you're the you that's you cool. are you're a big deal <laughs> with cool. the uh, academy and select kids. So I I have an ancillary story, kind of funny to that. It's a guy I went to high school with, uh, a friend of mine. Uh, I won't say his name, but he um his kids play for uh, 
uh, Dortmund here, the, the BVB Academy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he, he told some kid that I would, cause I, he texted me and like, Oh, Hey, you're going to be at the game or whatever. Come over and say hello. And I said, you know, I was in the, he was telling his kids, Oh, a friend of mine from high school is coming to say hello. And they were like, Oh, who, uh, whatever. They didn't care. He said, yeah, it's Buzz Carrick from third degree, the podcast. And they were like, Oh, Oh, wait, well, hey, you know, that guy, how <laughs> <laughs> oh, weird is that? That some, my buddy from high school, his kids See? knew who I was because of the soccer or third degree, the podcast. So, You're like, a star, a, Buzz. No, no, let's, let's be real. It's a tiny little world. We do. A, I think we as a group do a very good job in a very small little micro audience that supports FC Dallas. I, and I'm proud of the work we're doing for sure. So I think it's pretty cool. I just think that you should be proud of the fact that uh, people who care about that stuff actually value your opinion. And if you anoint oh, somebody cool. yeah. as an up and coming player, th- that that is received and accepted as a high honor. Wow, thanks. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it does, and that's pretty cool to hear. Thank you. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know I that they reached that level of. Awareness. That's a that's a research study of one on my part, but the fact <laughs> yeah. that some random kid I met a couple weeks ago said that to me just leads yeah. me to believe that in fact it's the case. And and you know what, you that's can kind of see it in the reactions of some of your articles and tweets that you put out. You can see in the likes and and the and the and the reactions that people care about that stuff. So yeah, ninety well, percent of the comments are really great. Every once in a while, I get somebody that tells me I have no idea how the academy works, and I'm so cool. You know, twenty five years of doing this, that's all good. Yes, yes. Uh, Okay, let's see. What else? Oh, and then you guys traveled up to Denton for a banger of an Open Cup game. Round one, DKSC Mm. versus Denton Diablos. Oh, my God. What an insane game. Dan, go. You you did the story. Go. Yeah, it was insanity. Just (laughs) just pure insanity. Uh, You know, you're in Denton. They've been talking about the cup for the last couple of years after uh, qualifying in 2020 originally first game back after the MPSL championship and you're thinking oh yeah they got this, this yeah they've got they've got a, a decent number of the championship team there Jesus Christ they even take the lead in the first 10 minutes you're like okay yeah this is gonna be a long night for DKSC turn it around after like what 34 minutes Exchange a couple of goals, suddenly you're like, wow, going in three times, shock lead 3-2 and a couple of red cards in the second half. Absolute dog shit referee. Oh, it was insane. It was it was it was amazing. It was such a yeah. such a great, amazing, wonderful car crash brilliance. I love local soccer and I love cup competitions. Uh man, that is the yeah. I just want to I want to mark this moment and I want everybody to pay attention. That is without question the most emotional and uh excited I have ever heard Dan Crook. That was amazing. Oh, go back it, to not being that way. I need more <laughs> excited support local soccer Dan Crook in my life. Holy oh. cow, that was like a different person. Oh, it was just, it was it was amazing. I I'm you know, I, I've been a, a such a massive fan of the FA Cup and especially the early rounds where you get that kind of intimate small ground like blood and guts cup tires and and that was that was everything you wanted it to be. Yeah, I'm gonna go on a, a I'm gonna sorry. go on a tour of non-league grounds in England someday, and I'm gonna make Dan go with me. 
because I have a feeling I, that'll be way better you know, than just trying I need to do to it by add, myself. I need to add to my count. I think I'm I'm only at like 125 or something. So <laughs> I think I found my guide. Excellent. Now, hey, Buzz. Yeah. Uh, there was a. I I watched like the first. It was so weird for me to be able to turn on ESPN Plus and actually watch this game live. And I only watched about the first 10 minutes up until I think that first goal by Denton, and then I had to turn off and go do something else. Uh, but there was a female referee, and she looked pretty young. Did mm. I read in your notes somewhere that part of the reason why a guy got red carded is because he called her a bitch? Yeah, that, well, that's the lip reading. Uh, I, I have heard that officially that it went in the book for verbal abuse of the referee. Okay, he and, called her a bitch. Yeah, the lip <laughs> read is that he called her a bitch. Well, listen, th- that sequence was the game-tying goal is saved off of the goal line by a dude on the post and a handball. Clearly, from the top of the stands, it's a handball. You know, I'm sure that he would argue, and he was the game man of the match, by the way, that guy. You know, he was, had a phenomenal game. Uh, Juan Ramirez, actually, is a former FC Dallas Academy player. He clearly, I think, handballed it, you know, winged it out, whatever, and they missed it. They missed the goal, the handball. Was the she rest. shielded from seeing it? Well, she was in good. She was in the normal position, and he was on the front post, and she's drifting towards the back post. So the linesman should have seen it, too. Should have seen it. It should have been seen. It was not seen. So admittedly, Denton is now fuming. And she waved it away, so she acknowledged it. Oh, okay. So then they even just, you know, listen, they're closer to it than I am. I thought it was a handball. Obviously, she did not. So, you know, in the moment of the game, though, you got to keep playing. So Sebastian Mendez, who's a really excellent player for DKSC and, and was one, one of my favorite players that I enjoyed the most, which is not the man of the match, but he carried the ball like all the way down to the other end. And Denton's captain chases him down like 70 yards and tackles him. And it's a pretty hard tackle. And so she's right there and she gives him a yellow card. But he, he gets up immediately in his inner face doing the wing arm motion, clearly mad about the handball. And she starts backing up, as you do, to try and disarm. And he keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. And then finally he drops the B word. And so she whips out the straight red on him at that point and he's gone. Good for so her. you can see it coming over like because he chases him down the whole length of the field. And then gets up and it's like 10 seconds of him screaming at her <laughs> that he, he, she finally, yeah. It's, I'd love I mean, to see the charge sheet because he <laughs> chest bumps her just before the yellow card. So oh. I was like, was that for the foul? Or was that for making contact with the referee? Yeah, yeah. She, there definitely was more contact than you want to see with a referee ever, whether it be hands or whether it be like he was right up in her face. I, I did. I did. I did hear through the officially, not unofficially. I heard, excuse me, that it was the verbal abuse that got him. You know, and I admit that clearly he was really mad, and it it, it ended up they. I don't know that it cost his team like not getting the handballs, what cost his team because there wasn't like another goal after that. But it really being down because they were already down a man, and so was so was DKSC at that point. There had been two red cards prior to that, so but it really killed their opportunity to get back in the game for the most part. But it was a crazy good game. It was so much fun. One of my favorite parts of the sport of soccer is that moment where you can see a player who has who feels like he's been aggrieved, he or she has been aggrieved, and the ball and that and a particular player is getting away from them, and you can see them chasing them down the field, oh, and yeah. all of a sudden everybody in the stands like, uh oh, something bad's about to happen, yeah. and that's one of my favorite moments in the game when you're just like, uh oh, what is this person about to do that's not going to end well for them? Because you just can tell the red mist has overcome them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that, that sounds like one of those moments. Oh, yeah. I, it I gave love me, those moments in the It game. gave me big Peter Ralton over 50 vibes, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Who? Me? Yeah. Uh, loss of control? And, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, uh, what? 
okay. I'm very mellow. And one, one more shout out from that game, by the way, I want to give a shout out to number 14, Brandon Serta from Denton, who was the other player that I really enjoyed watching. If you're old enough, he was basically precky for them, right? Like the, the left footed wonder. Uh, yeah. He played on the left side of their diamond midfield uh, in the first half and second half, he went to the right. Cause they were down a man, but the, the game, the defense breaking pass or the 30 yard bomb of a goal, that kind of kind of taller and physical and lumbering, but yet still dribbles like eight dudes. You know, I had so much fun watching. So those are my favorite two to watch were Serta and Mendez for DKSC. And then the man of the match, as I mentioned, was Juan Ramirez, who was basically the the playmaker for DK and basically ran there in the pace of the whole game. He was excellent. So. See, I'm betting that all three of those kids are more proud of the fact that you gave them the call out than they did our winning the game. <laughs> no, no, no. They get to go against San Antonio now. Uh, when is that yeah. game? Uh, April 5th, Dan. April is that right? 5th, yeah. Yeah. So Dan, what I want you to do, please is tell the story of the wheels off uh us open cup game. That wasn't that you described on the discord. Cause I had not seen or heard this story anywhere else. And so I, would you please share that with the pod listener? Cause it's pretty damn fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, I was doing double duty the other day for, uh, Joshua Kala's, uh, the cup.us. And so there's a Slack channel for that you know, giving updates and stuff. And uh, so South Carolina United, who have a USL League 2 team, were playing, they were hosting North Carolina Fusion under-23s. Now, <clears throat> there was a rumor going around the day before the game that they only had, that South Carolina United only had 15 players eligible registered. They, you know, they... Turning their, their team sheet before the game, an hour before, as you do, and only 10 players were actually registered. The 15, they'd registered with USL League 2, not with US Soccer. So, quietly, they, they're like, okay, we'll forfeit. But, uh, hey, um, let's, uh, let's, play a, let's play a friendly anyway. They don't tell anybody. The broadcaster thinks it's a US Open Cup tie. The crowd thinks it's a US Open Cup tie. The reporter for Josh's site... Uh, the report's still there as if it was a legitimate U.S. Open Cup tie. So you, um, uh, South, the South Carolina team are, are leading pretty late into the game. Uh, and then, you know, it goes, there's a late equalizer. It goes to extra time. North Carolina Fusion win three. I think it was 3-1 in extra time. Well, then this morning, it all comes out that it was a sham. There was never a US Open Cup tie. It was a forfeit. It was a 1-0 result. But you play the game. You don't have to give the ticket money back. You play the game. You don't get in trouble with the broadcaster. And, uh, yeah, it, what, a, what a complete uh, little cloak and dagger, bait and switch, God knows what backhand a brown envelope slow the bullshit that is wait, wait a second so the two teams knew that they were playing essentially a pickup game yep did they but did they not because okay the if you're u.s a soccer match commissioner uh the, so the guy reporting for josh asked the the u.s soccer match match commissioner what was happening and he said you know this uh there's a possibility this may happen and then once the team sheets uh were turned in he asked him again he was like nope it's game on Wow. But knowing so you, that the game was not going to be official. Yeah. So effectively, yeah. Nobody knew until US Soccer put out the email of all the, the recaps and stuff and said, yeah, unfortunately, there was a forfeit in this game. 
I love the Cubs wow. <laughs> so much. That's insane. So uh, yeah, watch watch Josh's site, thecup.us, in the next couple of days because I know they're they're trying to catch up with South Carolina United and and U.S. Soccer and try and get a little more on the story. The U.S. Open Cup game that wasn't. Hmm. Fascinating. All right. Wow. That's uh, that's bonkers. And I'm sorry. And you said the uh, uh, DKSC plays San Antonio on the fifth, yep. and yeah. it's at San Antonio. Yep. Yep. Right. Time to be determined, as far as I know. But yeah, they'll go to down there. I'm gonna try and go. It's I think I'm. I'm scheduled as a seven thirty. Okay. There you go. What day of the week is the fifth? I believe it's a Tuesday. Is it? Uh, I Monday yes. was the April fifth is a Tuesday. Okay. All right. Yeah. We'll kick ass. I'm hyped. All right. Well, um, thanks for, uh, you know, it actually turned out to be okay to do this. This was a nice diversion from being a complete uh, nervous wreck about 9 p.m. Because now it's a little after 7 and I can go eat dinner. And There you go. You're welcome. And, yeah. Thanks, Buzz. I appreciate that. Um, hey, for you, buddy, anytime. <laughs> You're a good friend. All right. <laughs> uh, anything else, fellas, before we finish this thing up and do the dismount? Uh, that's a lot. I mean, we got to save something for next week. Okay. I will save for next week my, my updated calculations on the total number of wins, playoff, playoff wins and championships of now over one, now 129 years of pro sports ownership by the Hunt family. Mm. There's you a tease for next week. That is a tease. Yeah. 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 Dan, you want anything else? You want to do anything else? You happy? You ready to go? I'm just uh, reliving cup ties now. Yeah. Man, I loved Excited Passionate Dan. That was fantastic. That's the high. By the way, that that's was... you're the you're that's the man of that's the moment of the pod right there. Mm. You, I'm, I'm awarding it to you. Thank you. There was also another uh, there's a protest been lodged as well by I think FC Motown uh, over the concussion sub rule. So uh, that'll be fun. Uh, somebody else did uh, somebody fake a concussion to get subbed i think uh i've been waiting for this i think a a concussion sub happened and then they brought the player back on Uh, somebody else is appealing over an ineligible player being subbed on for one of the one of those games too a different game so lots of chaos in round one shady shady they need to get my they need to get my friend andy swift to be those match commissioners because that's Mm. you know he does that for Concacaf, and uh, he's really good at it and maybe they need somebody of a higher quality and caliber to do those open cup. They need games. to put him in charge of the whole open cup. That'd be what I would say. Man, I agree with you there. I totally agree with you. Okay. Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, good stuff. Again, you are uh, you are the star of the pod this time. Yay! <laughs> Such enthusiasm. <laughs> You're making me rethink that, but okay, whatever. Buzz, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Enjoy your uh, week off or whatever you're going to end up doing since we don't have a game until next weekend. Uh, I'm going to go watch North Texas Soccer Club play. It's all good FC Dallas fans should. And are we doing a pod next week? Yeah. Heck yeah. Hello, this is Rex Watson again, reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Located in Frisco at Toyota Stadium, stop in and shop the wide variety of jerseys, scarves, soccer equipment, and more. Or shop online at Soccer90.com. Use the code THIRDDEGREE at checkout to receive 20% off your order. Promo code good online only. Some exclusions may apply. Very good. 
All right. Thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. Congratulations on the second straight win. And we will speak to you next week on another fun-filled, passionate Dan-loving episode of Third Degree, the podcast. We love the Open Cup. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast.